0: On this edition of the Iowa Business Report.
1: One of the major drivers uh, we see in the transition space is, you know, will my company continue to live on and have the impact that they worked so hard uh, to create?
0: One of the important points in a business transition is the legacy that will be left behind. What's the role of state government in developing business? A new initiative announced this past week for businesses to help stop human trafficking. And in our business profile, we'll talk with one of the worker owners of a business that is the first of its kind in Iowa. This is the Iowa Business Report for the third weekend of January, 2022. The Iowa Business Report is a copyrighted production of Totally Iowa Media, which is solely responsible for its content. For more, click on the radio programs button at totallyiowa.com. Here is Jeff Stein. Last fall, we began a monthly series of conversations about innovation in business. Today, more with Paul Kinghorn, director of Advance Iowa and intellectual property officer for the University of Northern Iowa. Paul, one of the things that we look at increasingly, I think, is how Everything works together. In other words, we used to have government over here, we had the education system over here, and then we had business over here, and never the twain shall meet. But I think there is increasingly a sense that government, and by that I'll include not only traditional government, but also the public school system, community colleges, again, the the public entities, there's a greater role to play in supporting business and therefore innovation so that we can maximize the overall growth of a a community or a metro area?
1: We tell people... Uh, So we're a university, one of the region's institutions in Iowa. We exist in our programming to help support the economy. So our job is to ensure that Iowa's economy is strong and vibrant in the future. Obviously, in order to do that, we have to make sure that we're helping the business owners meet their their needs, right? They're the ultimate arbiters of making the decisions, their businesses. But they don't live in a vacuum, right? They have employees and the community employees live in. They have uh, suppliers and others that rely on that business and its vitality going forward so to the extent that we can step in and help them be better stewards and what we find with a lot of these business owners now there are a few that are trying to maximize uh, their wealth and and at all costs but that's not generally who who we deal with in fact i'd say that's very rare the majority of people we deal with while they certainly do want to prepare for um, some future date whether it's retirement or the next phase of their life they care a great deal about uh, the communities they live in and the legacy that they leave behind. In fact, one of the major drivers uh, we see in the transition space is, you know, will my company continue to live on and have the impact that they work so hard uh, to create? Now, the role of outside organizations. So, so we also find just a lot of the companies we work with, as they're small, they've grown, they start to develop and go uh, and, and have some success. They've pretty much relied on internal mechanisms to get there right their own employees their staff they huddle around they have conference room discussions meetings and what have you and and that takes them to a certain point but at some point if they're not careful or intentional, maybe is a better way of putting it, uh, about looking for an infusion of new ideas and support, there's a lot of opportunity that they miss out on. And so, one of the roles that we serve from the government perspective, because we can do that, because we're the way we're funded in part, is to help them to realize there are these wonderful resources outside their company. That they start tapping into can help them think about their operation differently, help them take advantage of opportunities, connect them to resources, and really start to grow. In the course of having that communication and showing that those uh, resources and, and processes that now all of a sudden can stimulate uh, new interest and, and energy and ideas into these companies, Now, we're not talking about highly distressed companies, right? There's a challenge unto its own, but you can become stagnant. You can even be in decline. It doesn't have to be fatalistic. It just means you have to do something differently, right? You know, the old uh, saying from uh, Albert Einstein, right? The definition of insanity is do the same things over and over and expect different results. We're trying to break them from doing the same things over. Give them different ideas to think about so that now they can actually start to see Uh, some of the improvements. So you're right, educational institutions, government roles, economic development, community, uh, as well as the private sector, all that exists within uh, those communities are perfectly situated to tap in and and willing to come in and help and assist uh, these business owners.
0: Paul Kinghorn of Advance Iowa, online at advanceiowa.com and search for Advance Iowa on LinkedIn and Facebook. Now, we've put all four segments of this series together as an IBR Extra podcast. If you already subscribe to this program via a podcast vendor like iHeart, Apple Podcasts, or Spotify, you'll find it there. Otherwise, go to the radio program section of TotallyIowa.com. Still to come, the Iowa State Capitol building is again full of activity and will have a pair of reports. And with a new year comes a new business structure for one popular spot in downtown Ames. You're listening to the Iowa Business Report.
1: New Year's resolutions abound, but how often do they last? I'm Michael Swanger, owner and publisher of Iowa History Journal. My challenge to every Iowan this year is to resolve to learn about our great state's
0: history, and the easiest way to achieve that resolution is to order Iowa History Journal. Get six issues for only $18.95 by visiting iowahistoryjournal.com and pick up our January-February issue at hy or Fairway. The Iowa Business Report is presented by the Iowa Waste Reduction Center. Find out how to save money, reduce waste, and minimize risks of infection by going to iwrc.uni.edu slash COVID and sign up for their free monthly newsletter on a variety of topics at iwrc.uni.edu. The Iowa General Assembly reconvened for the year this past Monday, shortly before the session began, I asked Speaker of the Iowa House, Pat Grassley, about the role of state government in stimulating Iowa business.
2: You know, we have 110,000 open jobs in the state. Think about that. That is, I mean, that's a good problem to have. Typically, historically, we've always talked about creating more jobs. Right now, our problem that we're facing is so many jobs available and not filling them. So we have a significant amount of people that are not in the workforce. If I remember the number right, it's between sixty and 70,000 people that are not in the workforce that I think the legislature really needs to be taking a look at. How can we encourage to make sure those people are reentering the workforce? Some of that's going to be looked at through, I'm sure, unemployment and other things within the state. When you have 110,000 jobs, I think those are the kind of things that need to be discussed. But if you look at what the feds have done and where we're in a difficult position, when you've suspended rental payments when you've suspended student loan debts, when you've put added pressures through mandates and other things like COVID vaccine mandates, we've really got a lot of pressure from the Fed. So some of those policies tie our hands. And I'll also say, this is another one I have to say every time on every program, we have one in four Iowans on Medicaid, a hundred thousand estimated Iowans are on Medicaid today that would not qualify if it wasn't for the federal mandate that we're facing where we can't disenroll anyone. So all of those factors are leading to a situation where, getting people into the workforce is harder than it's ever been. Not because the jobs aren't there, but everyone has a job and works. Most, not everyone, but most everyone because they have to pay bills like student loans or, or provide healthcare for their family. And a lot of those, from the feds have really been suspended at this point in time. So getting people into the workforce. Some of the things that we've been working on, for example, childcare, I think you and I have talked about this before. The House has really taken a lead on that. It's not a historical issue that Republicans have talked a lot about, but we've heard a lot from our constituents how important that is. So we've passed, I think, eight bills last year in the legislature, which aren't intended on just handing out checks from the government, but incentivizing private business to work with their employees and work with the communities to establish some of these type of facilities and increase access and other programs to try to work folks off of government assistance when it comes to childcare, which in my mind is a very conservative principle. So after all of that pontificating, Jeff, I'll leave you with this. This is my mentality and what I've said, anyone that darkens my door when we're having these meetings, we will not pass every idea that's brought before the legislature. However, I think we're in a point where we have such a pinch on the workforce from what we're hearing from every employer, Republican, Democrat, independent, that every idea, needs to be discussed. Will we pass the law? Of course we won't. But every idea needs to be put on the table. And you know the old adage, there's no such thing as a dumb question. And in this instance, there's no such thing as a dumb idea when you're facing such a situation that we are right now. But again, a lot of that stems back from keeping the economy open, having a strong economy. Some of that is kind of a chicken or an egg thing as well.
0: Meanwhile, this past Thursday, Iowa Secretary of State Paul Pate announced a new initiative spearheaded by his office to engage businesses in stopping human trafficking, it's called IBAT, Iowa Businesses Against Trafficking.
3: Well, we're excited that we're uh, put this uh, coalition together. We're creating a statewide alliance with Iowa's business community to end human trafficking in the state. Several of the state's largest trade organizations uh, have already joined us, uh, and we're calling it the Iowa Businesses Against Trafficking, IBAT. Sadly, we we really wish we didn't have to do this. It's just like our Safe at Home initiative. We think Iowa's a great state, but unfortunately, we still have some challenges, and one of them happens to be human trafficking, and whether it's sex trafficking or folks being uh, taken advantage of on the labor side, we know we need to to eliminate it, and until it's eliminated, uh, programs like this are going to have to exist.
0: When we hear the phrase human trafficking, it connotes certain things, and we assume, as good Iowans, that it can't happen here. Talk about some examples of what we're talking about to put an actual note on it, as opposed to what we may imagine from, shall we say, the movies, frankly.
3: Certainly. Well, as we've seen in recent years, uh, particularly in in eastern Iowa, uh, trafficking has now expanded beyond these big cities. Uh, it's finding uh, spots off of interstate eighty and thirty five and three eighty and highway twenty, you name it. they're They're finding their ways into communities uh, on the sex trafficking side. They're actually coming in and and they're uh, recruiting in the sense of looking for vulnerable people to bring them into the trafficking uh, side of it, as far as uh, on the sex side. And then you've got the the said uh, the labor side where they're, Promising people jobs and things of that nature, they get them into states like Iowa or others, and they hold on to their passports and their visas. In many cases, they've got other collateral that uh, of a financial nature they're holding, and uh, these folks are forced to work in some really tough conditions and with no uh, no uh, light at the end of the tunnel. That's where they're going to be out of bondage. It's it's truly uh, modern day slavery. And this is something that just has to be taken back, I think. Uh, most, most of us don't want to see it, and we frankly don't even want to acknowledge it's around, but sadly it is.
0: Businesses can learn more by going to ibat.iowa.gov. Coming up, if you go to this business in Ames, you may get your morning coffee served to you by an owner. You're listening to the Iowa Business Report. A politician wearing a bow tie walks into a bar and orders a pint of Guinness. Where is he? Why, in Waterloo, of course. The clip on bow tie was invented in Waterloo, Iowa, in 1918, at the same location where Jameson's Public House is today, in the city where the bow tie sporting Quentin Hart proudly serves as mayor. Which begs the question why not Waterloo?
1: I'm Mayor Quentin Hart, inviting you to Waterloo. Come for a visit, stay for the great quality of life.
0: Look us up at cityofwaterlooiowa.com. Support for the Iowa Business Report comes from the Iowa Business Council, a nonpartisan nonprofit organization working to elevate Iowa's economy through leadership, research, and advocacy. Learn more and get details on their latest quarterly economic outlook survey at iowabusinesscouncil.org. In past editions of this radio program, we've discussed the concept of worker cooperatives as a unique business succession strategy. The folks at Advance Iowa have held webinars on the topic and worked directly with one business in Ames in a transition that led to the state's first worker-owned cooperative being formed. As of January 1st of this new year, Morning Bell Coffee Company became the first business structured in this way in our state. Max Westlake is one of the owners. Morning
4: Bell, we're a coffee shop slash coffee roastery. We're right smack dab in the middle of Main Street in Ames. I'm not the founder, so that title goes to Nadav, Mayor, and his wife, Dara. They actually started it in Arizona, I believe, about seven years ago. Moved it up here to Ames about five years ago. Back in late summer, early fall, I want to say, they both got job offers from Texas A&M. Now, we'd already been working on transitioning to becoming worker-owned for quite a while. And as of the first of this year, we're now totally employee-owned and operated. That's
0: fascinating at a couple of different levels. Obviously, having the very first worker co-op in the state is very cool, but it just shows why that business format works, right? You've got founders who are looking to leave, they could do a traditional sale, but what a better idea to simply take the people who have been on the journey with you and and broaden it out so as opposed to one of you potentially buying it. You've got this collection of people who have given an awful lot to the organization already. I think it's wonderful.
4: It's been absolutely wonderful and I think things are looking really good for our future. We've always been very collaborative in how we work. It's always been a very democratic workplace. I won't go too much into that, but just interviews, for instance. Long before we were a co-op, we did group interviews. Every employee was invited to the interview to interview for a new hire and everyone had veto power. All it took was one person saying, "Mm, they're not the right fit. And so it's really a continuation of that sort of idea.
0: How many owners are there in this initial phase?
4: There are, at the moment, five right now.
0: So explain for those who are not aware, the concept of worker co-op. How did you come upon that business format as something that you wanted to employ and what steps went into all of this?
4: So it's something that's sort of been around for a while. I believe it's a lot more popular in Europe here than it is in the United States. Um, we were familiar with it. I believe there are a couple different very good roasteries up in Minneapolis that have been employing that organizational structure. And what it is, is every employee essentially who chooses to become a worker owner owns one share of the business. So any you know big decisions are made via board vote where every worker owner gets one vote. Profits are distributed equally at the end of the year with some slight modifiers for experience, that sort of thing. Even in terms of like the management structure, I'm one of the two managers at Morning Bell. But at the end of the day, we report to every worker owner.
0: Because again, you're all owners. Some of you may have different responsibilities, but to your point, it's a small d democratic operation and you're all in it together.
4: Exactly. Exactly. Yep, I think you hit the nail on the head there.
0: How does one found one of these? As you note, it is something that is unique. Did you have some resources or individuals that you relied upon in order to make this happen?
4: Yes, yes. So we were very fortunate to have a lot of help along the way. We worked with a couple different organizations that sort of specialize in that. We've had a few people who've had a lot of experience with worker co-ops come in and kind of talk to us about it long before the transition began. On the more legal side of things, we did have to work closely with a lawyer to set everything up just so everything was, you know, above board and all the I's were dotted and T's were crossed paperwork wise.
0: Now, this allows you to have additional owners or, I suppose, to have fewer owners or change your ownership. It's really a very flexible form that you can adapt
4: as you need, correct? That is absolutely correct. So I guess part of it is that you do have to, first thing, is you have to work there in order to be a worker owner. So I'm sure... I think a lot of us are going to be sticking around for a long time, and I think that there's probably going to be some of us who are not going to be there for the next 20 years. So when they leave, their membership share will be returned to the co-op, essentially. The flip side of that is, and I believe our requirement is one year or 750 hours at the moment, but once an employee has completed either of those, then then they have the option to become a worker owner.
0: You're running a coffee shop with some great success. You've received some honors for the work that you do. What sets you apart from what I'll call one of the national chain coffee shops that might pop up, especially in a college town like Ames?
4: There are a lot of different answers I could give you to that question. I could spend the next two hours going on about that. <laughs> I'll save you some time, but I'd say a couple of things. First okay. off, from the very you know cooperative side of things, We're not some big corporation. Odds are when you go in there, there's a pretty good chance that whoever's working behind the bar and making your cup of coffee, they're an owner. They're invested and they're very committed to making sure that they put out an excellent product that reflects upon them well. On the more technical side of things, I mean, we're a small roaster. We put a lot of time and a lot of care into each of our coffees. I'd say even just before we roast them, even buying them, we only buy one out of every 20 or 30 we
0: try. It's one thing to grab a cup of coffee on the go. That's not your experience. You've got artwork and you've got integration with staff. I mean, you've, you've got an entire atmosphere there that makes it much more of an experience.
4: One of the big points for us is that we really are a part of the community of Ames, or at least we'd like to think so. So we've mm-hmm. got local artists. Their art is up on the wall every month. Some tumblers designed by an ISU graduate, you know participate in community events, and host some community events. So I think that's a big part of our atmosphere. I guess
0: I didn't ask, how did you get involved? How did this become more than just a job,
4: if you will, for you? I started working in coffee back when I was 16. It was my second ever job, I believe, and I fell in love with it almost right away. I was actually a customer at Morning Bell for a long time before I even applied. I applied because I thought we were They were, at the time, one of the best coffee shops in Iowa, and I really wanted to work there. And honestly, working there lived up to my highest expectations and then surpassed a lot of them. I loved it. I figured out pretty early on that it's what I wanted to do with my life. And uh, one thing led to another, and here we are. So what's the
0: most gratifying thing? Because this has been quite a journey where you have been doing it for a while. You're working at a place that you respect then comes the idea of worker co-op. So what's gratifying? What makes you interested in staying with this?
4: Um, I'd say the most gratifying thing, we actually had a meeting just about a week ago. So the co-op transition was effective, legally speaking, on the 1st of January. We had a meeting on the 5th, I believe, to sit down and kind of finalize a bunch of operating rules, answer any questions that were still up in the air, and just being able to sit down with my fellow worker owners. And that's when it really sunk in for me. We, we own a business together. We're doing this together. And that was such an amazing thing to see.
0: Max Westlake of Morning Bell Coffee in Ames, the first worker-owned cooperative in Iowa. We connected via Skype on Wednesday, January 12th. And that brings us to the close of this week's program. We're back again next week at this same time. In the meantime, you can listen to all or part of today's program by going to totallyiowa.com and clicking on the radio programs link. We're also found on all the major podcast distributors, 19 now in all. The Iowa Business Report is presented by Advance Iowa, leading successful business, innovation, growth, and transitions. Search for Advance Iowa on LinkedIn and Facebook and get more at AdvanceIowa.com. We welcome your comments. Send them by email to radio at TotallyIowa.com. I'm Jeff Stein. Thank you for joining us, and we hope you have a prosperous week. The Iowa Business Report is a copyrighted production of Totally Iowa Media, which is solely responsible for its content.
2: For more, click on the radio programs button at totallyiowa.com.